The True Tone Lounge podcast features audio-only versions of our video interviews. To view those, please visit truetonelounge.com or our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash truetonefx. I'm Zach Childs, and welcome to the True Tone Lounge. Today, our guest is Sean Tubbs. Hey, Zach. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yes. Sean <laughs> is uh, originally from the, uh, the California, Southern California mm-hmm. area and uh, spent years working there in the studio yeah. and uh, doing uh, touring mm-hmm. and then moved to Nashville about 10 years ago and, and mm-hmm. has spent the last decade playing with Carrie Underwood. Yeah. 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 Well, for the most part, I mean, I lived in a couple other spots here and there. I was in Arizona for few years and uh, didn't really do major touring until I was with, uh, with Carrie. I did a little bit of touring okay. with various artists, but it was mainly session work. And, okay. Yeah, I was in L.A. Well, how, did you, uh, how did you first pick up the guitar? Man, uh, that was my pops. He had this, um, and it was stolen, unfortunately, when, when I moved to uh, Huntington Beach. But okay. my pops had this uh, old national town country guitar. I think it was a 50 or 55, you know, and he had this band called The Orbits back when he was in high school, you know, mm-hmm. and he just kind of hung on to that thing, and he was always plinking around on it, you know, and, and you know, I, I heard a lot of this kind of, you know, he, that's how he played, you know, mm-hmm. and so I just kind of slowly but surely was like, hey, what, what's that all about, Pops? And he was just like, clunk, I don't know, you play it, you know, <laughs> and that, that's honestly where it started. It's like there's always been quite a bit of music in my family, but I... In my whole family, there's a lot of players, but it really did kind of start with my dad. So I, that was pretty much my first experience with a guitar was that old National, and he had an old, uh, I think it's a little Silvertone amp or something, okay. just real low wattage. I think it was tube. Yeah, <laughs> plinked around on that, but that's really that's the beginning. Was uh, I just got hooked, and I remember uh, not really taking guitar that seriously about like, okay, I really want to play better until I was about nine or 10 years old. But I've had guitars in my hands since I was five because I just wanted to look like Johnny Cash. So I would literally <laughs> had, just walk around the house with the thing hanging off my back and the headstock would slam into things. And <laughs> so I, you know, I didn't get terribly serious until I was around 10. And, and then even then, it was, it was odd because I didn't like to study. I don't like to be cerebral. Um, when it comes to music, so it was, I tried to take lessons and didn't, so it ended up kind of being that self-taught guy, you know, and still am, and that's why people ask me, what did I play? I'm like, I don't know. I would love mm-hmm. to find out. <laughs> so, anyways, long story, that's yeah. how it started. So beginning with, a, 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 your, your dad was playing Johnny Cash, and, mm-hmm. and so was, there was a lot of Johnny Cash being played in the house? Yeah, well, he, he really liked uh, Johnny Cash. He loved uh, Willie Nelson. He loved Chuck Berry. Mm-hmm. He liked some of the old sur- surf stuff. You know, he was, he was kind of all over the map. I mean, it's funny, when I think about it now, they, you know, my, my mom was kind of, more into the the female country singers and you know Loretta and that and, and Pops was more into all the male country singers uh, especially uh, 
uh, Hank, you know, he, he loved Hank. and Hank so, Williams, yep, senior. Yep, that type of stuff was playing in the house quite a bit. Lots of Beatles. Though, it's funny because he'll, he'll literally say, I don't like the Beatles. I'm like, Dad, the Revolver record. I mean, it was constantly playing in the house. How can you tell me you don't like the Beatles? <laughs> so it's been a, a bit of a dilemma between me and him. But, yeah, lots of that kind of stuff. And then, um, you know, Mom, she kind of got me into... You know, she got saved in the 70s, um, Christian, and uh, so she got into a lot of the Christian music. So okay. back then, you know, of course it was Phil, you know, Philly's Keggy. Phil, he's, Phil he's Keggy. A, the guy's yeah. a beast. Um, you know, Second Chapter of Acts, Sweet Comfort Band, all that stuff. So I was exposed to that kind of stuff from mom. And then on the other side, the, the more country stuff, even though I didn't totally latch onto it, was, was yeah. pops, you know. Yeah. yeah. So what were some of the first things that you... Uh, so when you were learning to play guitar, mm -hmm. were you mimicking things that you heard off records? Were you coming up with your own things? Um, what were you doing? A, a lot of different stuff, you know, because, you know, you're always trying to figure out how to, you know, every guitar player is like, how do I take a solo, you know? Like, what do I do? Is there like a, what is that, you know? So I did a lot of just sitting around, noodling by myself. Mm -hmm. Every once in a while, and I'm still that way to this day, every once in a while I'd latch on to something I'd hear, and I... And it's, this sounds funny, is the last thing I remember latching on to, but I didn't learn it right, was Sleepwalk, Larry Carlton, Sleepwalk. Mm -hmm. And I heard this guy play, and my mom actually turned me on to him. And I was just hearing this really beautiful, like... And I was like, man, what is he doing? And what is that song? And of course, my dad's like, you don't know that song? Really? <laughs> you know, that song's been around forever. He's playing on lap steel. And now he's just like, oh, God. Yeah. But, you know, I, I would try to learn it. You know, and I'd get parts of it, but because I'm so lazy, I'm not going to learn the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's a, you know, I'd get that, and then he did some. Okay, I'm, I'm no, I'm out. But I do like, you know, how did he get like? What is that feel? It's like with me and guitar players. That's what it was. It'd be a, it'd be a feel. It'd be a sound. It wasn't so much that they had this. Thing, you know, blazing technique, or it was just a feel. So Larry it was the first guy I could latch on to, even the um, room 335, you know? Mm -hmm. That was another one where it was like, okay, that's cool, but it was more like, what does that feel? And then I would, you know, figure out where can I go with that? You know, can I go up a half step and still have it come back somehow, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was a lot of my thing with guitar players, you know, and then my brother, Lonnie, was real into, like, uh, Brecker Brothers, and okay. he was that guy. He was listening to all kinds of, like, weather report, and and for me, it was like, that was just way, like, what is going on? But every once in a while, I'd hear, like, was it Michael, Michael Brecker, uh, play a line. Mm -hmm. So I would literally scratch up that record, and then, you know, Lonnie would not be happy, but I'd play that line over and over and over, and it would be, like, some sort of... I think that's what it was, and I think I learned it wrong. But once again, I was able to go, well, well, okay, I can, I'm just gonna integrate that into what I already know. Mm -hmm. Totally lazy, but that's how I grew up playing, and that's yeah. still how I play. It's like, I'll listen to insane guys like Guthrie Trap and all these cats that are around here. They're insane, and it's the same thing. It's like, I don't wanna learn, like I wanna rip Gus so bad. But I don't want to learn it note for note because then Guthrie's already better at that than me. 
Right. That's why Guthrie's doing that. <laughs> but you can take pieces of what Absolutely. he's done and, and mix yeah. it in with what yeah. you already you know, do. Yeah, Scotty Henderson, you know, Pat Matheny. Uh, there's a, a dude, uh, Doug Rappaport is a really great rock and roll player, and I'll, I'll listen to his stuff. But I've, I've never been, uh, I've just never put the time into actually learning a song all the way through. Okay. You know, I just don't. I'm yeah. just lazy as hell. Ne so so ne <laughs> never never learned uh, any, any guitar solo note for note? No, ever. No, no, no I can't. Because um, even like, uh, you know, Eagles, you hear all the, I would latch on to the bends. You know, so for me, I was like, wait a second. Well, how many bends are in there? And so I would sit and screw around with yeah. that, and it's a Hotel California thing. Right. But that's all I latched onto. And then, of course, yeah. you know, all that stuff is killer. But what I latched onto was literally, it's like, wow, that's beautiful. I want to plug that into what I do, so you know, somehow. Step you know? and a half bend. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, I'm, I'm a weird I'm a weird cat when it comes to like how I learned to play. Now, I will say, uh, Steve Vogel, I think that was his name, um, he taught me the five forms of a major scale that I still can't really play. But, you know, basically on the, based on the shape forms, you know. And I remember that did help me. Like, okay. um, you know. And then, and he, he tried to get me into all these modes. I was like, oh, God. Mix of Frigilidian, Expedalis, whatever. I, I, just, I couldn't do it, but what I could see was shapes. So I, I dug that. I was like, oh. That's all based on that's what I know. Playing in so, versions of that G chord. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I know that. So I know, oh, what if I go here, but how can I get back. Well, my, maybe if I do something real twisty, oh, now I'm here, which is this shape. Well, there's an arpeggio in that shape that's also dominant four. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's my weird thing. It's okay. like if someone says, play me a melodic minor scale, I'll be like, yeah. you play me a melodic minor scale, yeah. smart aleck. <laughs> so, <laughs> but you can play something that fits in the song. Right, right. Because yeah. yeah. I've been told that is melodic minor, but to me that's still based on, or, you know, you know, same thing to me, mm -hmm. but apparently that's melodic minor. To me it's like, no, that's that jacked up thing I play all the time, I'm just playing it to the relative minor, that's it, you know. <laughs> so I'm always so embarrassed about, you know, and, and maybe that'll help people, you know, maybe that would help people is to not be so cerebral, because that's, that's my problem, is the second I start thinking, Oh, melodic minor scale. What is a melodic minor scale? The first thing I start doing is just playing that scale up mm -hmm. and down and up and down. So I, I, I just gave up on that when I was a kid. But like I said, this has been invaluable. So thank you, Steve. Yeah. Wherever you are, yeah. <laughs> I was in. A, I, was, I think I was in high school. I think it was in a sophomore one. Okay, I learned that. So, so when did you start playing? What was your first like paying gig? Uh, my first, what I would consider actual where I was like, wow, am I on a session? Yeah. What? Was, uh, I, I don't want to connect too many dots because it's get too long, but there's a buddy of mine named Chris Lazat. He's a, he's a real sweet dude, great songwriter, and, and I, I, you know, we're just good friends. And there was another guy named Stan Endicott who was producing records for Maranatha. And it was Chris who basically approached Stan and said, hey, I know this guy, not really a chart reader, but sweet dude, and, you know, let's see... Uh, you know, if, if you wouldn't mind, like, letting him come and 
play. And, uh, and I remember it was Tom Hemby was the other guy on the session. This was, so he had flown down. It was me and Tom Hemby and I, God, I forget all the rest of the guys. It might've been John Ferraro, a great wow. drummer. Um, played, on, played on Sleepwalk. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that was the first thing, you know, because I had done things that paid, you know, because my brothers, we had a band together. Uh, Lonnie played drums. My twin brother, Scott, played bass. And we played bar, not bar mitzvahs. We played Mormon dances, like Top 40 stuff. So I got paid to do that junk, but I'm not, I don't, yeah, that doesn't yeah. fit. So that's kind of where it started. And I don't even remember what year that was. I, I can't remember the name of the record. And I had done a few things even before that. All that to say, mainly Christian music. Okay. Um, that's how I got into the, the Crystal Lewis gig, um, okay. played on a lot of her records, helped her arrange a lot of stuff. But I would say that, yeah, that first, it was, it was horrifying, that first session, because I don't read charts, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So these guys plop this stand in front of me, and the drummer just looks around, I'm like, what? What? Yeah. What, is, what, what are we doing? What, what is that? You know, so I'd have to literally just kind of, while they're kind of working up the tune, be really, really motivated to just listen to what they're doing and learn as much as I can because this is this means nothing to me yeah the chart meant nothing it's nothing yeah, yeah. And so you, you, these... listen, you listened to what they were doing yeah. and you kind of figured out yeah you know, what you yeah what you were gonna and do. just hung on for dear life and it was horrifying but at the same time I really enjoyed it you mm-hmm. know especially when I got what they wanted mm-hmm. that was a big deal you know for me it's like I, I'll nitpick myself to death so I, I finally have learned it's like if they're happy yeah. that's why they hired me yeah. not for me to be happy but I want to get what they want. So it, it kind of it was like that perfect golf hit. Like when you get that one, you finally don't shank it, you cack it out there, you know? And you're just stoked. It's like you can't yeah. wait to have that happen again. Yeah. And, and then, of course, it doesn't <laughs> for a few, and then it does, you yeah. know? So yeah. this, this first, you know, recording session that you did, a major one. Mm-hmm. So um, was this during the still the rack era? Were you using, like, amps and pedals? Yeah. Or what were you using at um, this point? I think at that point, I, I think I... I think I did bring the big stupid rack, that mm-hmm. big goofball refrigerator, man. Everybody had them. Because yeah. um, I, well, I used to work at a shop, uh, really from the time I was 18, I worked at a shop in Van Nuys called uh, Lab Sound. And that's where a lot of the you know, guys that were getting into the big rack stuff were going. It was either that or, of course, Bob Bradshaw was, mm-hmm. was killing it. Um, but I used to work there, so I, I got educated on a lot of rack stuff, but I also got a lot of great deals on rack stuff. Mm-hmm. And then as time went on, my brother and I actually had other shops that we kind of ran together. So I would just collect these insane rack systems where it'd be four different preamps and a head on top slaved, and you gotta have a 480L reverb. I mean, who doesn't have a Lexicon 480L in their rack? And, you know, so I, I fell, <coughs> fell for a hook, line, and sinker, and, and I, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say it that way because that era was ingenious. And, and to be honest with you, I've heard rack systems that guys have put together that are just mind-boggling. I mean, they mm-hmm. sound so good, so I get it. Yeah. But yeah, that, that was the, the rack system days. I showed up with my yeah. big mess, but Hemby showed up with, I think it was the Roland guitar modeler thing. I can remember the way it looked. It was like gold or something because he flew in. Mm-hmm. And dude was smoking my tones. Yeah. And that's what he had. He had that in a Strat, you know? So it's like, okay. Lesson learned, you know. <laughs> so how did things progress from there? So you started touring with Crystal Lewis? And yeah, well, the session thing um, did progress from there. I, I, I started getting called a lot, mainly to do, yeah, Christian stuff. And then 
I, I also met a guy named James Raymond, who's just a, a brilliant, brilliant musician through mm -hmm. Crystal. Um, we had arranged some of her songs together, and he's played on some of her records, and he's just a sweetheart. So he kind of, he got me into doing TV stuff. But the way he, we did it is we didn't have to be on set doing it, which was brilliant. So I did a lot of acoustic playing uh, for him, and he got me onto a lot of what would be considered custom sessions mm -hmm. um, that were great. And uh, him and another guy named Dan Garcia is an insanely good mix engineer. And I, he's, I, I think he just did Crosby's latest thing, mixed David up. Crosby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you meet, you know how it goes. You just meet yeah. people. And then, you know, all that to say, it's like the session world's a tough biz, man. And, and when Pro Tools started showing up, and be, start becoming more and more prolific. I was like, man, this is this is going to be a problem, and and mm -hmm. it really was because you saw it. I mean, there was just the big drop off. Right. So all my guys that you know, because that's the same thing as Nashville. Anywhere you are, you've got clicks, and and they're your pals, and that's who you work with on several different projects all the time. Um, once their work started dropping off, then of course my work started dropping off, and right. you know that's how it kind of went. But but I had a pretty good run, man. Yeah, I really did, and I'm still having a great run. But yeah. but as far as those session days where it was just yeah. every other day I was in a room. But you know, yeah, you were experiencing the same thing that everyone else was experiencing at that Absolutely. point. So there was yeah, you know, mm -mm. and so everyone you know all of a sudden had a drop off because yeah. you know there there weren't as many sessions, and all yeah. of a sudden people were recording out of their homes, which right. is what you have you know which now. Exactly. There's much know, yeah. there's much less you know work, and mm -hmm. so many people are doing it themselves yeah, yeah so because they can just take the time because in the past you were having to pay for that studio time and so you wanted mm -hmm. a, a professional right but all of a sudden when you're not paying for studio time yeah. all of a sudden it's not a big deal if you sit around with a guitar yep. and take four hours to yeah. get a guitar part down yeah and that's the thing it's like this yeah. guy may not be right for the gig but he's my pal and yeah. we'll just hang out yeah until he gets it who cares yeah you who know? cares yeah it's like yeah and and you know I think at the end of the day, you, you learn to just kind of take advantage of the very thing that's killing you. Right. Which is kind of what I've been trying to do. You know, it's just, well, okay, I need to take advantage of that technology as much as everybody else has and just see what I can, see what I can do to keep carving because I, I just want to play guitar, yeah. you know. So, so did this have something to do with the move to Nashville? How did the move to Nashville come about? Okay, well... Uh, you want to go there, Zach? Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> well, actually, one thing I want to hit before <laughs> that is uh, you ended up uh, working with uh, Stone Temple Pilots. I did, yeah. Okay, let's hit that real yeah. quick. Well, uh, uh, Robbie and Scotty, I went to high school with Scott, um, and he was, he was a lot closer to my twin brother. Those guys were deadly together, like a deadly mm -hmm. combination. So I had always known Scotty from high school, and they had various bands that they were in. Um, Scotty started singing because of a choir instructor. He was on the football team, and, and the choir instructor made it his mission to get guys on the football team to actually sing in Madrigal Ensemble, which was a big deal. Scotty was one of those guys, and I think that's wow. why he was like, oh, wait a second, I'm a singer. Yeah. And then it just went from there, and, and that's how he met my brother Scott, was same same time. So they hung out quite a bit. I got to know him, and I was around him quite a bit, uh, just as they did various bands, and I was never really in any of them, but they had you know, just ensembles, and we would all go hang out. Uh, Robbie DeLeo, I met that kid um, at, uh, it would, would have been Mesa Boogie Hollywood. Uh, my brother Scott was managing the shop, and I was basically just working there. And, and Rob, um, who Scott had actually known for quite a while too, started working there. And this was before 
uh, you know, the pilots had really become the pilots and, and gotten signed and everything. Mm -hmm. But that's kind of how I know all those guys. And then, of course, Dino came into the picture, and, and they kind of morphed into Stone Temple Pilots. Atlantic Records picked them up and went on from there. And they wanted to do uh, MTV Unplugged. Which and, was a huge show at the time. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. And, and they asked me, because I was such an acoustic guy back then, not so much now, but I was playing a lot of acoustic guitar. It kind of started more as, hey, man, can you come and just help us arrange these for acoustic? I was like, yeah, of course, you know, mm -hmm. and, and then that kind of morphed into man, just come and play, and you know, yeah. and it was heaven. I mean, I, it's like these guys are all the sweetest guys I know, and we're hanging out on TV playing these hit songs. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, it was just you got to be kidding me, you know. Yeah. And uh, you know, I still stay in touch with uh, with Rob. He's he's just salt of the earth guy. I love that guy. But yeah, that's that's what happened. And the same thing, we ended up on Saturday Night Live doing one of the uh, tunes that we were doing acoustically. So it that's kind of how that all came together, you know, and it was, yeah, it was one of the best times of my life. And of course, my brother Lonnie got drug into it too, because Eric, uh, the drummer, really, you know, he, he just dug Lonnie. He's like, well, man, why don't we just bring Lonnie? I'm like, who's going to play bongos or something? Yeah. And Lonnie's like, I don't play bongos. He's like, yeah, you, you play bongos. Yeah. <laughs> you play. So, yeah, so Lonnie came along, and it was player. awesome, yeah, because I'd never been in New York City. You know, they put us up in the Royalton, and I was like, wow, what is going on here? Don't mm -hmm. get used to this. And, of course, I didn't. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what happened there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, bring us up from there to moving to Nashville. Okay. Yeah. Um, I lived in Arizona for a short time, maybe just le a little less than three years. And the reason that happened is uh, I had my daughter, Ivy, and we were getting ready to have Ella. And... Session work had dropped off to such a degree, and, and housing was getting so expensive, and I knew I was going to need to get into a bigger place with these kiddos. And I thought, man, maybe I should really think about calling it, you know, quits on the, on the guitar for a living thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe, long story short, move to Arizona. My brother owns a fiber optics company, my twin brother, and just do fiber. You know, I'll go there, I'll study fiber and kind of wind out of this. And I'd always kind of had Nashville in the back of my mind, but I thought, well, man, it's... It's, it's like we were just talking about. It's like that everywhere, you know. So I ended up there, sold basically everything. I had a couple pieces. I was finishing out uh, with a thing called Promise Keepers. I had some dates to do with them, so I was winding out of that. So I had a small pedal board, kind of similar to this one on a truck, and a Strat on the truck. And then I had uh, a Hamer guitar at the house, uh, uh, Monaco, which was actually really great. And uh, I had sold everything. I was playing a lot of Django because I thought, man, if I want to, just play guitar for the sake of playing guitar. I don't have to make a living anymore. I just want to play this Django stuff. Wow. So while I was doing that, I was just kind of coming to grips with, hey, you're not going to do this for a living. And uh, lo and behold, the phone rang. And it was, for, at first, a guy named Jamie Kenny, who's a really great producer, keyboard player, just brilliant dude. He was the musical director on the Promise Keepers team. Apparently, Carrie Underwood, he had sat in with them, so he knew that camp had her musical director had called and said, hey, we need a guitar player lickety-split like mm -hmm. in three days. Do you know right. of anybody? And so the phone rings and Jamie said, hey, man, I, I told these guys about you. They probably aren't going to call you because as far as they're concerned, you're a dude from Arizona. So this is, you know, but if they do call, you know, it's up to you. And they did. And uh, that it was basically, hey, uh, you know, we need a guitar player really quick. Would you be willing, uh, based on what Jamie told us, just to fly out like Red Eye and let us meet you? And I was like... You haven't heard me play. And I'm like, well, that's okay. We just want to meet yeah. you. You know, based on what Jamie said, we just want to see if you're crazy or something. Yeah. So I flew out thinking I'm not going to get the gig. Met Carrie thinking I'm still not going to get the gig. 
went back into the hotel room that they uh, had planted me in, and I, the knock on the door came, and the CD was handed to me, and they said, you've got little over 36 hours now to learn 22 songs and step into an already existing tour set seamlessly if possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, yes, of course. Of course mm -hmm. I'll do a gig. Absolutely. Like, oh, of course I can do it. <laughs> then, and literally went home, got sick, did not sleep, mm -hmm. literally like bled out learning all these songs. And yeah, uh, Came back out, oh, and I didn't own an acoustic guitar and half the set was acoustic. I had sold my Olsen, everything had gone away. I had one guitar that I did have, but I was like, that can't go on the road, ever, 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 ever. Mm -hmm. So I borrowed money from my dad. I bought a little Martin, the, I think it was a Clapton. Had electronics put in it. Didn't even play that guitar until it was on the gig because I couldn't get it in time. So I literally took it to the airport, picked it up on the way to the airport to go hit the gig. Wow. And yeah, it just kind of went from there, man. I, I, I got through it with the, the Strat I had and the, and the Hamer and the guys, the gear was on the truck and they were sweet enough, the Promise Keeper guys, to just go ahead and ship it to the first show. So I didn't even get to learn the stuff on the pedal board that existed. Right. It was just insanity, you know. But yeah, I got through the first show um, and they were happy and she was brilliant. And yeah, 10 years later, I guess I wasn't supposed to stop playing guitar for a living. So it's, it's really been a blessing, you know, because you're trying to just do what's best for your family. Because I'm, I'm one of those guys like, look, man, I'm all about guitar, all mm -hmm. about guitar, but never at the expense of a relationship ever, because I don't talk to this thing. When I put it down, it's got nothing to say to me. Mm -hmm. So that was my thing. I was just trying to do what was best for my family and take some stress off and, and get just financially solid, you know. And I guess God was saying, well, that's cool, but let's try this, you know, and it's been good, yeah, it's been, it's been good, so yeah, that's how I ended up in Nashville, and, and I love Nashville, and I, dry, I drug my poor wife to Nashville, and, and, you know, I thought, oh my God, this poor girl, but she loves it, you know, she was born and raised in Anaheim, most of her family hasn't left Anaheim, you know, so she, you know, she's always been on board with me, but I'm, I'm really happy that she likes you know, she likes Nashville. She likes Tennessee. You know, because I don't live in Nashville. I live in Spring Hill. Yeah. But it's the same thing. It's like, yeah. where, where'd, where'd, you used to, where'd you used to live? Oh, I lived in L.A. It's like, no, I didn't. I live in Huntington Beach. But I'll just say L.A. because you may not know what Huntington Beach is. <laughs> right, right. You know, or you may have a problem with the O.C., so I'll say L.A. <laughs> <laughs> that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> This has been an audio presentation by TrueTone, TrueTone.com.